Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Monday. You heard it. Battleborn Broadcast Center. Cofield, Willie Ramirez, back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Ari is with us. We'll see what came down on the uh, NHL trade deadline. We know Mark Andre Fleury was dealt, so we'll get to that in a couple minutes. We'll see if the Knights did anything. Right now, Willie and others are waiting on conference call info. From the Knights, we've got more quarterback moves around the National Football League, kind of squeezing down the number of chairs for quarterbacks who actually want to start in this league. All that on the way, and also uh, more on what happened over the weekend with the Lady Rebels as UNLV falls in the first round of the women's tournament. Let's do it. So we get to the quarterback news right out of the gates. Big quarterback trade. You know, the Colts, of all the teams that need a quarterback – Frankly, Seattle looks like it's in rebuild mode. Other teams that are quarterback poor aren't really expected to compete for a playoff spot. But this Colts roster is freaking loaded, Willie. And now they go out and they trade for Matt Ryan, who's still pretty solid quarterback. You know, think Phillip Rivers, uh, not Carson Wentz, right? Older guy. Still has a little gas left in the tank. So, solid move by the Colts. Doesn't answer the question long-term, and now we flip to the next question, which is, well, that could have been one of the spots where Baker Mayfield was coveted. Deshaun Watson, the big deal goes down on Friday for the Browns and Watson. Man, I think the handwriting's on the wall here. Baker Mayfield, I think, is more likely not to have a starting job than have a starting job. Yeah, that it's – I don't know how surprising that is, but – it, it, does he join a team that's in rebuild mode? Does he, you know, I, it's it's big question mark there with him. I mean, where does he end up and what system fits him best? But like you said, I mean, it, does he end up playing a backup role? That's that's a it's a it's a very curious question. I'd, I'd like to see where he ends up and if he's okay with you know playing that because at this point with what's signing, he going to do? Yeah, what, what else is he gonna, exactly going to walk it? You know, not even into his uh, you know his free agency period. The teams that may need a quarterback. Panthers, maybe. Saints, I mean, I think it's going to be Jameis Winston. Giants, well, they already they have Daniel Jones. They're going to give him a chance, and they got Tyrod Taylor as the backup. Seattle has Drew Locke, so I guess that could be a place. The Lions have Jared Goff. I don't know why you would bring on Baker Mayfield for Jared Goff. I don't know that there's much of a difference between them. Um, the other thing in this is I have no idea who takes most of the money. Now it's going to be the Browns, so the Browns are going to be screwed on the money front with Baker Mayfield and I mean, would the Seahawks want Baker Mayfield? Why not just play Drew Locke all year? See what you get in the draft. Maybe you develop one of those guys in the draft. I, I think that to me, the biggest problem now with Baker Mayfield having a starting job is Baker Mayfield and his maturity. Well, and that, the Seahawks, you know, for me, I would wonder if he, if he goes there out of, out of the, the teams that you mentioned, um, the allure of playing under Pete Carroll and possibly rebuilding your entire persona, whether it's on or off the field. And as you said, that attitude and the maturity, um, you know, Pete Carroll's a guy who has a Super Bowl and and has a storied past, if you will, and, and maybe could sort of tame that personality a bit. And if he can sort of see the humble writing on the wall for himself that, you know, he, he needs somewhat of a mentor that somebody who can 
set him straight, this this may be that might be the best move considering who he would be looking up to. Will Ramirez here. I wonder what Knights fans were ultimately rooting for. They needed the win against a team that they're in a race with in the playoffs, the LA Kings. But I wonder how many fans actually grimaced a bit after the game when they saw Logan Thompson go out and help kick the crap out of the Kings. Not that I believe the Knights are kind of knee-jerk and just reacting game to game, but that had to help their confidence a little bit with what's going on here at the goalie position. And to this point, Willie, we're not we're not seeing anything, right? Have we seen any move for the Knights when it comes to goaltender? No. Nothing's and, come and, down, right? And, and I don't think that that's, that's going to take So it's over. So it's Leonard, it's Brassois, and it's Logan Thompson. Okay. It's Leonard, it's Thompson. Oh, and it's Brissois. Yes. <laughs> I I mean, Logan Thompson looked fantastic in both games. You know, he's he's in his the they snapped a five game skip franchise worst five game losing streak in which they got no points. They win two in a row. He's in goal. I asked Pete DeBoer, two part question, you know, do you see your goalies gain confidence period by period? or game by game. And he said, no, you see it period by period. You see it progressively. And the other part was, what made you go with the kid, basically, back to back? And he said, the, the decision was easy. We need wins. And when you look at our record, you look what we're doing, we need people that are, that are ready to go out there and win. I mean, it was almost like not a compliment for Thompson, almost like a slap to Brassois, 1-6-1 and one in his last eight starts, save percentage, in the eights, 800s, goals against average rather high. I mean, you go down the uh, in that range of those eight games, I want to say it's mid-February in the NHL, and the NHL returns the, the filtered stat page, and he's not even on the first page. I think it returns 50, 50 goalies or 30 goalies. Hmm. you got to go to the second page to find Brassois in that, in that time span. And Leonard's been in and out of the lineup, so it's been mostly Brassois for this team. Well, Logan Thompson looked fantastic. His his uh, his reactions, his agility, his overall skill. I mean, and the Kings were scoring some goals. Kings were, you know, I mean they were they were playing well. He shut him down. Well, the big trade today was Mark Andre Fleury. <laughs> I, I love it. Why? <laughs> Why do you love it? Well, first of all, this was a team. If you remember last year, going into the. Season, what did everybody say about the Minnesota Wild? Well, that's the last team that the Golden Knights want to play. Kryptonite. What? Exactly. And who was the goalie for all those years? Marc-Andre Fleury. Couldn't beat the Minnesota Wild. They had his number. Now, they're grabbing him. It'll be him and Cam Talbot down the stretch. Get them in the playoffs. And why do I love it more than anything? Because this is a guy who I think deserves to be in the playoffs every single year until he retires. And if he wasn't, if he if they didn't get traded, he probably wasn't going to. Right? Chicago's not going to the playoffs, so um, now we just need another wild Golden Knights playoff rematch from last year, and uh, that would be an interesting showdown, of course. But you know, the the owner sent his private jet to pick him up. He just arrived. The Wild just tweeted out a video. Wow. He'll be treating in, him the right way. He'll be in uniform, Steve. Now, when wait, you wait until we get a message from uh, his agent and uh, 
and math with uh, some subtle dig at the Knights about being treated right. Now, when you by management. Um, when you are on Cofield Company, but like there's a seven o'clock kickoff or tip off, do you get a private jet into California? Of course. Yes. Anybody send for you? Yes. <laughs> yes. The the uh, the benefactors at uh, the big wig money at UNLV will fly me all over the place. I'm an integral part of the broadcast team. No, I'm not quite Mark Andre Fleury. So I saw Ryan, the hockey guy, uh, our hockey dude, over on Fox 1340 and 98.9 FM. He said, I want VGK Minnesota in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Seven games of that drama. Oh, If it goes seven games. It'll be two weeks of awesome. Won't that be a joy for Vegas Golden Knights management as they have to uh, see once again the media pick their sides, get behind their battle lines, whoever's on the Leonard side, whoever's on the Flurry side, thumping their chest, and then – Fans who haven't let go of the flurry thing. Oh, if they do lose, saying "I told you so" yes. a billion times Absolutely. during the series and into the off season. Not even the series. Forget the series. Just every game. If he makes a big save, or when the Wild win, I gotta wait till the series is over. Golden Knights could go up two games. Could go up three games. Nil. Wild win that fourth game. Told you. Told you. This is why we shouldn't have got rid of flurry. Three games to one. Boy, Robin Leonard's going to have a lot of guys to yell at in the media. Oh, yeah. He'll oh, he'll take it out on uh, us and Dr. Saravelli. <laughs> Were you within earshot of him uh, snapping at a reporter last week? It was upstairs. From what we heard. What, I don't even know. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, he, was, he was mad about the, the whole injury report thing and was snapping at a, a local reporter, and the local reporter fired back and was like, I'm, I'm not the one who reported it. Oh, huh. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That local reporter actually. Yeah, yeah. It was that was okay. So I, I know everything that took place yeah. with that. That so so here's. I mean, this, this is what's on the table for Robin Leonard. I mean, the, no, you know, he you're, wanted. You're 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 a big time goalie. You're making money. They chose you over the other guy. The other guy could come back in the playoffs to potentially beat you. You know, it's big boy time. You got to deal with this kind of stuff. On the way back, we'll address that. We'll also get to uh, more on what the Wild put together because the Wild. Wait a second. Did the Wild actually? They traded something of value to the Blackhawks? Wait, I thought Flory had no value. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. And it's over. St. Peter's has done the unthinkable. The Peacocks, they're going to the Sweet 16. 70-60 win over Murray State. St. Peter's emerges as a tournament darling. And they are Jersey City strong. Oh boy, are they ever. The ball is tipped. There you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. All the years. No one knows. Just to hide your words. Well, that was one of the cool stories of the weekend. St. Peter's. Out of uh, northern New Jersey, beating Kentucky, knocking Cal out of the tournament, making a little kid cry, which I get a kick out of. Love that. And then taking out a really good mid-major in Murray State. So St. Pete is on to the Sweet 16. They're going to play Purdue, which will be a hell of a matchup since Purdue has two big dudes, one being uh, Zach Eddy, who's 7'4 and 500 pounds. and. <laughs> Travion Williams, who's also 500 pounds at 6'9". Uh, those guys split the time, but they're just – they're massive. They're massive. But little guy beat big guys, and it's a, it's a really cool story. We'll get to that 
uh, in about 10 minutes or so as we uh, want to talk about the Lady Rebels and also uh, more college basketball from this weekend as the Sweet 16 is set. But big news around here today is the Vegas Golden Knights and the trade deadline. They acquired, well, they got rid of the Danoff. We're still waiting to see if there's any last trickle of news about an acquisition. But really, the big news is who they didn't go get at goaltender. Familiar face in Marc-Andre Fleury, but he does land in enemy territory in Minnesota. And what it sets up is a potential matchup in the playoffs. We've seen that in the past. And also what it sets up is a reignition of the flames around the fans and the media with Robin Leonard versus Marc-Andre Fleury. And Leonard's been really testy of late because he's not playing. He's had a myriad of injuries. We don't know what they are because every time something's reported, he says it's fake news. And then you were in the press box the other night and he's, he's came up there and Adam Hill was on Friday. He told us some of the stories and Adam said he walked up to him briefly and said, you know, you basically, you look like you're walking. Okay. And I guess there was another encounter where Leonard was snapping at someone for a report outside of the market. This guy, Saravelli, who keeps coming through with a hey, torn labrum. Now it's a, a knee. Now it's a back. There's, so what's going on here? He, uh, so this was before the game, um, Friday. And he was coming up the elevator to sit in the press box. And a media member was coming up. He had grabbed some dinner off the concourse. And he walked in, and, and Leonard lifted his leg up and started flexing it, like, you know, very animated and said, doesn't look like a broken kneecap to me, does it? Hmm. And the media member said, well, what are you yelling at me for? I didn't report. He goes, no, I know. It's just frustrating. I'm just showing you. And they got back and forth, you know, went back and forth a little bit. And he just he said, do you want me to report that? He goes, yeah. I want go ahead, go ahead. I don't, you know. Leonard took his seat in the press box, and that media member went and started writing out that he happened to hand me his phone a couple of times and reworded it here and there just to make sure it was, you know, worded correctly and no libelous and you know where he's confirming something. But anyway, and put it out there, and then uh, again, I believe it was between periods, he was talking to another media member, and he's just obviously very frustrated and i think that he purposely hung around the snack area the coffee area where until he could get to people who had big audiences big hockey audiences to sort of voice his displeasure with frank saravelli reporting you know quote unquote erroneously if that's the case in that he may have now he did say the the tweet did say that vgk fear that Leonard right. may have a broken kneecap so someone or from, a broken patella and then in parentheses kneecap. So someone from the Golden Knights is leaking this. That's what I would think. I mean, where else would it come from? Because that, that organization is so tight-lipped. Now, the only other thing I can think of is that if there was a fear, the, the initial fear is players talk to their agents, agents talk to other agents, and – Saravelli's close with one in particular who his client, biggest client, just signed with the Wild today. Let's put it that way. Stop. You think it's that Jabroni who's Many spreading potential lies about mm -hmm. Robin Leonard? Well, here's the thing. It could have been a stretch of the truth, but not necessarily a lie. The initial reaction from Gold Knights could have been, man, I hope, let's hope it's not a torn or a, a broken kneecap or a patella, which is the kneecap. Let's hope that it's not broken. 
and then it wasn't. But the initial reaction was that they hoped because the tweet said Golden Knights fear that it was this. And so, it, you know, I mean, it's just all a matter of how you word things and how you phrase it, how you get clicks, how you get attention and putting it out there. But what I can tell you is that Leonard, it doesn't appear in any way, shape or form that it's close to being that severe. That's all I'm going to say as far as what Robin Leonard is capable of doing right now. And I think that he'll be back before the end of the regular season, whether or not he'll be 100%, whether or not he'll be battling through a, you know, bumps and bruises, whether it's his shoulder, whether it's his knee, there's no telling. So there's something going on right now with the Knights, right? Like there's something being worked out or details being parsed through because they were supposed to have a press conference at 2.30, 2.30, and we're now at 3.22. The Danoff is moving to the Ducks. There's got to be someone coming back. So is that what – is there some sort of hurdle they have to get across here? Because media people – yeah, media people we're talking to are like, yeah, it's, just, it's a mess right now. Well, and the problem is this. At, at some point, there is a report at like 12 – 12 o'clock is the, is the deadline. Okay, so once that's done – Everything that's in the registry from that point has to be cleared. The Golden Knights, this move could very well be at the bottom of the list. They can't do them all at once, so they could be near the end. I don't know if it's because maybe Vegas, and um, alphabetical. I, I'm not sure how that works as far as maybe it's how they come enter the registry in order. I would assume that's the most logical way. But the, everything has to be cleared in terms of the NHL and the league. So it's not as if we're still waiting on them to make a deal. The deal's been made. It's a matter of what the details are. That's why Kelly McCrimmon hasn't reached his press conference because he's still sitting there probably with McPhee in the office and waiting for the registry to clear whatever it is that's coming back, whether it's a pick, whether it's, you know, they could be clearing cap. They could just be clearing more salary and not getting anything. Same thing they did with Flurry. There's no telling with these guys. None. None whatsoever. It's fascinating. Because it everyone's just waiting around trying to find out what the hell's going on with the Knights and if they made some moves. Anything. I mean, and they have a game tonight in Minnesota where Marc-Andre Fleury is the backup goaltender. Was uh, Fleury... Oh, I don't want to say being a bit dramatic, but uh, in Fleury style, how did he speak about Minnesota? Did he see this coming? Oh, I don't know if he saw it coming. Maybe it's something he wanted. It came – well, so it started to come up during the game or after the game. Michael Russo, very, very credible reporter um, from Minnesota, he had said afterwards, hearing that this, and it was that, you know, there have been their talks that Flurry come over. So gets off the plane just a little bit ago, about 25 minutes, half an hour ago. Uh, Minnesota Wild tweet out a video of him suited up and uh, he says a little video, you know, welcoming himself, I guess, to, to the Twin Cities. Michael Russo tweeted out, Flurry said he sat on the visitor's bench Saturday night with Chicago, looked around XL Energy, saw the packed house, and envisioned playing here. Nice little... Uh, bit dramatic. Yeah, just a nice little... <laughs> this is where I wanted I'm to come gonna, the whole time. I'm going to appease the crowd. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure wherever he ended up, whichever play. 
pen he ended up with, he'd had his his uh, quote ready to go. I mean, he's a seasoned veteran. He knows how to play to the crowd. He knows what he's doing. His agent is who he is. He's still the nice guy that everybody loves, but let's not be coy that Marc-Andre Fleury is seasoned veteran as to how to play to the crowd and say the right things. He'd make a great politician. Let's put it that way. Three six four eleven hundred. Let's do a giveaway right here. Three six four one one zero zero. Caller seven. Get a pair of tickets to see Incubus at the theater, Virgin Hotel. That's uh, coming up this Friday. Friday, 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 March twenty fifth. Pair of tickets to see Incubus. Talk to Ari right now. Caller seven. Three six four eleven hundred. Three six four one one zero zero. Yeah, caller seven. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. 7.56, Booker to the top of the key. Booker puts the brakes on. Booker will try a three from the top of the key and drills it. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV will not foul, and the Arizona Wildcats will end the magical run for the UNLV Lady Rebels this year and win it 72-67 to in advance to the second round of the NCAA tournament. A valiant effort by UNLV. It's... Well, things end abruptly for the Lady Rebels. Really good season. Hell of a job by Lindy LaRock in her second season. Now high expectations next year. They had the lead in the fourth quarter. They're up by five in the fourth quarter, and then everything just kind of fell apart in terms of taking care of the ball and and making shots. So they're out. They lose to Arizona. Good program. Um, I didn't watch Arizona this year. They have some annoying players, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and they got Kate Reese back, which was a huge addition, which I was warned about in a sense. I say air quotes, warned by uh, Michelle Smith with the Pac-12 and um, uh, Cindy Brunson, who we've had on, Pac-12 experts. And they said, you know, because when they got bounced out of the Pac-12 tournament, I was like, I said, wait a minute, what the heck happened? They got bounced pretty soon. They were like, yeah, well, don't forget Kate Reese is out. But when she comes back, they're going to be a force and they'll be back to normal. They're a defensive juggernaut. And, and you know, we talked about this the other day in that Arizona didn't have the offense that it did last year with Ari McDonald. So it, it really stepped up its defensive efforts to what it already was a very good defensive team last year when it made it to the national championship against Stanford, went down to the end. And, uh, you know, so as much as we want to say, well, did the Lady Rebels give it up? Did they did they not take care of the ball? Or did Arizona, because they ramped up their effort at, in that fourth quarter. I mean, it was like, okay, it's go time. And Adia Barnes must have told him, hey, this is it. You're either done. You, either the 13th seed's about to knock you out or you're either going to go in there and play defense. And that's what they did. I mean, up and down the lineup, they just really put the clamps on and UNLV couldn't do anything. They were suffocated realistically that entire quarter, and they still were in the game. At one point, it was a double-digit game. I started thinking to myself about the point spread because there were point spreads on the, on, you know, and once the women's tournament starts, and I think their Lady Rebels were catching 14 and a half, and it got to about double digits, and it was that middle of the fourth quarter where they started pulling away is where they won it because the Lady Rebels made a little push at the end, and it landed on five. Valiant effort by the, by they did their best. The one person, and it's not her fault because they really focused on shutting her down. They, I think, they keyed in on players where let's let's take them out, let so and so have their game. But they took Essence Booker out early. 
I think that that caused some problems for UNLV. You know, uh, Desi had her had her day, and she was carrying the team for the most part. But I mean, I think without Essence being able to do what she does, you know, Sam Thomas established a defensive presence. She swatted her one time, and then, you know, she was getting she they were shutting down the passing lane. So Arizona did as much to disrupt UNLV at spot times, and then in the fourth quarter. And I noticed everyone jumped on the, hey, it was a true road spot. That's the women's tournament. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it way, is. It's that's not like, it's not a, not a shocker. Um, and the only way to overcome that for a program like the Lady Rebels and, and, and UNLV and Lindy LaRock is you got to work on making sure that that net ranking is higher, mm-hmm. which means if it were me and I had the team that, you know, we expect her to have coming back. Now I have no idea how the transfer portal works. I don't know if, you know, now, you know, there's some, you know, big, big program that will come and try to steal everyone on the roster. I don't know if it's as aggressive as the Nobody's the men's leaving. side. Like is someone, you know, is someone giving uh Desiree young, a $50,000 NIL deal. Nobody's leaving. I, I, I would tell, here's the thing people. I, and I get it. I get it. There's money out there for Lindy. There's, there's, there's these attractive programs. I love the confidence. Nobody's I, leaving. I do, Here's why Steve. For years, years, we have talked about both the men's and women's teams. How can they keep people here? How can they keep the locals home? How can they do this? How can they get a coach that really wants to be here? They have all that in this women's program. I don't care that the UNLV Lady Rebels and the Running Rebels are in the Mountain West Conference and they're battling with the bigs and they're battling with the Pac-12s and the men's teams having to battle with Gonzaga on the West Coast and the St. Mary's and the BYU's. They have everything that you could possibly ask for in a coach with experience and it's impassioned and there for her girls. The players have a program where everybody's bought into the philosophy and they're learning from one of the best. The commentator on the on the on the broadcast, they brought up Lindy's name and he said she is probably the best young coach of the mid-major level in America right now. Right. Yes, so, so she's, she's attractive to other. So co- she's so she's like a Todd Golden from San Francisco, who five minutes after the San Fran loss in the tournament, he was gone to Florida. Right, but she's. I don't not know. I don't get the point you're making. If if money comes calling, then that changes anyone's mind. And my whole point, well, you didn't address what I just said. I don't know if in the women's game, you know, there are nil deals set up by the biggest. I don't know Kim Mulkey, <laughs> kind of a dirtbag. I mean, you don't think she has a list of players? She's like, let's go steal them. I got all I want here at LSU. Let's get some NIL deals for the women. Yes, I'm sure. That you don't they- think the Cavender twins, who are now in the transfer portal from Fresno, aren't going to get some freaking – they already have their own NIL setup. You don't think they're going to get more from wherever they go? This is part of the game now. But I don't it- know how big it is in women's basketball. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And all, all probably- I was saying is I was prefacing, hey, they have a loaded team coming back. The Lady Rebels do, right? Hopefully, Linda LaRock is not teased to go somewhere else. None of the players leave. My point from there is, if you want a better net rating, then you should super, super aggressively schedule the non-con. Yes. Number one, this is her second year. She's got to deal with the schedule that was always already set up for her, as she does next year. There's already been a home-and-home home series. There's already opponents already in place. I'm confident that Lindy will schedule to get that net ranking up. It's something that she talked about without a doubt when I wrote the story for the Associated Press. As for the players, 
I'm sure that there are NIL deals out there. I'm sure that the ladies in certain areas, Tennessee's, the Stanford's, the the Pac-12 uh, up and down the Do SECs, it. but they got to get into the portal. Are they going to get caught tampering and then say, hey, get in the portal and we want you? But my question is, outside of money, I just don't see that this team, these personalities, these girls, these ladies that that battle for Lindy, that, that they're building the foundation, everybody can come back why they would want to do that is it if they're that greedy you know what and if they are then go i can't i can't believe mbake jung he loved you at lb and he didn't stay what happened kevin krueger got hired as head coach mbake why because things happen man it's not gonna happen (laughs) and if it does i'll tell you what if it does there are gonna be players that'll that'll come in to play there will there will so So, bottom bottom line though is to ensure that your net, you know, after a twenty-six yeah. and six uh, regular season, you know, uh, Mountain West Conference tournament added in, that you're not sitting at seventy-five or eighty. So, and I think that that classic that they host every the Lady Rebels, I think it's called the Desert Classic, I believe. Um, you watch; they're going to start bringing some. I mean, they're going to have to down the road. They're and I think that they'll be she'll be able to use her influences, the people that she's met. They'll get some schools to come in here, play in Las Vegas. She'll get some corporate sponsorship. Some schools will get some money. They'll come in here and they'll play for that tournament. I mean, we saw Mississippi. I remember covering Sabrina Ionescu. They came in here for a tournament one. Yeah, one I hope year. they do it. Yeah, and I hope fans show up. And I think you know, from the social media buzz I saw, now I follow a lot of UNLV people, so fans. Um, so maybe that was you know that was coming up because of that. But it looked like there was a lot of buzz on Saturday night watching the game. And there was. And you know what? I got a real kick out of because I haven't heard it much, but I'm sure you did at times during men's games. But as far as the TV, the enthusiasm, you're hearing the 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 home crowd go crazy. You talked about the home arena, right? I was watching the whole game, and I could hear Rebel chants like as if it was the '90s with the UNLV men's team. That was kind of cool. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. TCU can take the final shot. Miles Jr. No call. Terry, the runner, the dunk. They're not going to count it. They are not going to count it. It was after the buzzer. Well, Arizona fans should celebrate because the end of regulation in that game against TCU was ridiculous. The fact that they couldn't get a shot off on a play that should have been called a foul um, adds to the drama. TCU fans should be really pissed off. But great, great first four days of the NCAA tournament. One of the guys who calls the action played the game at Xavier is uh, Steve Wolf. He calls the games for CBS Sports. And you're doing Steve and Willie here in Las Vegas. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? We're good. The end of that Arizona game in TCU in regulation. Come on, the the you don't fall down at midcourt unless you're bumped by uh, I don't know what that well, was a knee or like a belly buck. Well, you know they. <laughs> I think uh, that's not the only game. I think they've had some problems with the officiating. Yeah. I mean, you know, this whole tournament, um, it, uh, unlike any other tournament that I have witnessed. Uh, there's been a lot of issues with officiating. The North Carolina game was the same. You know, I didn't understand some of those uh, some of those calls. But at the end of the day, it's March Madness, man, and there's a lot of madness going on. I'll tell you. 
So what do you think's happening with the officials? We're paying more attention. There's more replays. Uh, people are more amped up because they're gambling on games all over the country. Or has officiating gone down? You know, I, I think the gambling is, is one area because, you know, uh, we've seen teams lose and before and with the officials, and it's been bad, but not like now. I mean, you just go on social media, and it's ridiculous. The, the officials are getting hammered. And the, and the officials you know, are usually pretty good. I mean, I, I did a lot of games this year, you know, and and really had minimal problem. Actually, you know, I talked to my broadcast partner, and, you know, when you're doing television games, you're sitting there looking and saying, okay, uh, you know, I got a flight to catch. You know, how are they going to call this game? Is it going to go overtime? You know, or the next game's coming up. Are we going to be able to go off the air on time? Are we going to do a post-game hit? All these different things that go on that, have nothing to do with basketball, but have something to do with broadcasting. And this year, I mean, the officials have actually been you know, have been pretty darn good in the games I've done, uh, where they'll come over at halftime and say, what do you think? I'll say, it's been pretty clean. And in years gone past, regular season, you know, you figure if the regular season's that good, then the postseason's going to be good, too. And it just hasn't been that way. And the sad thing is, is that I, I don't see a reason for it, but it is very evident. And to me, the, the, the biggest evidence of that was the, the North Carolina game. You know, uh, some, of those, some of those fouls. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the, the, the flagrant two should have been a flagrant one. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, it, that happens all the time in basketball. They just happen to catch them. It really wasn't a direct contact. Uh, I didn't see there was any, any touching on that. It should have been a foul. should have been a flagrant one. I mean, this isn't, we're not playing – Tennis, we're playing basketball. It's, it's rough, and if a guy grabs you on the shoulder, you're going to get him a pop back. But that changed the whole dimensions of the game. And then when, you know, every time they, somebody touched somebody else, they called the fouls. So, you know, I, I like watching the games and seeing the guys hit the outside jump shot and making great plays. I really don't want to see the officials. Um, goes back to the Ted Valentine day where you felt like, you know, he was more of the show than – than the games, you know, and, and I think that those are kind of things that sort of frustrate me when I'm watching it uh, as a fan. And, uh, but the basketball has been pretty good. There's been a lot of good basketball out uh, aside from the refereeing. And one last thing on the officiating, I think the root of all of this, and I'm not sure if the refs have put themselves in this position or their bosses have put themselves in this position. I think the block chart, I think the block charge thing has gotten completely out of control. Um, I don't think it's a 50, 50 call. I think it's like 90 block, uh, 10 charge and teaching kids that defense means you stand in front of someone. That's not defense. Yeah. You're rewarding no, someone for I standing agree. there and it's, it's out of control now. You know, and, and I agree back in the day, you took a charge as a last resort. Now it's, you know, when you go to these programs and I see it a lot and a lot of the schools will have, you know, have it set up that, you know, you know, if you get a charge, you get this many points and, they have, you know, the blue-collar awards for some of these these kids, and they make it about the charge. And to me, you know, back in the day when there was a – when they called it – or they had the no-call before the restricted area. They had a no-call where they just didn't call it. And a guy would take a charge, you know, and if you're playing the game and a guy takes a charge, you change. So if a guy gets over, they don't call anything. It, it will affect your game. So they used to not call it. So they had to do something. So they put the restricted area in there. But when you're driving to the basket and a guy sneaks over in front of you, 
you're changing your home momentum. You're, you're going to change your shot. So they got to call something. And right now it's, it's become the art of can you get over there and try to flop without flopping? You know, they, they, they keep trying to change it. You know, the flop rule this year, I, I would say probably in one out of every three games they have a right. flop warning. Yep. Which, which is, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, to me, you know, when I drive to the basket, I, I want to either take it in there, get fouled, guy blocks the shot, I miss the shot, as opposed to worrying about if a guy's going to come on to beat you and, and foul you and undercut you or hurt you or whatever. Um, I think it's out of control. And, and quite honestly, uh, this doesn't take any art to go over there and let somebody and stand in front of somebody and have them knock you down. I mean, there, there really is no art to that. It's, defense is an art. It, it takes a lot of hard work, and it's hustle. It's moving your feet. And, uh, and walling up and doing all those things. But it has changed. The game's changed a lot since when I played. Give me your take on Arizona making it to the Sweet 16, having this awesome season with Sean Miller's players. Well, you know, um, you know, obviously you know what's going on here. Uh, I live in Florida, but I also live in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I, Sean Miller is now the Xavier basketball coach where I, where I went. You know, Obviously, you got Jamie Dixon, and and you also had the Wright State game, both of them. Um, pretty decent seating for Arizona. You know, I think that they escaped disaster. You know, last night. Uh, but I think they also, the consideration, they, nineteen turnovers in the first round against, you know, a Wright State team. I, I thought they were very fortunate to win. You know, so over there, I think. I may be wrong, but I think it was over 30 turnovers in two games. In order for them to get to the Elite Eight, they're going to have to clean that up. Uh, they, they just can't, you know, play against, you know, Houston. Coach Sampson will, will sit there and say, listen, we're going, to, we're going to turn up the heat on these guys. They can't take care of the ball. And I think they will change that. But I think it's an unbelievable coaching job winning 30 games with somebody else's players. Uh, coming in there and after all the conflict that they've had, uh, <laughs> there's a reason why he should be coach of the year. It's 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 a pretty unbelievable feat. Talking to Steve Wolf, CBS play-by-play broadcaster, also played uh, three seasons with Xavier in the '80s. So, Steve, with that. As we approach the Sweet 16, um, some interesting matchups based off of the play that we saw in the opening rounds. Gonzaga, the number one overall seed, I, not necessarily that impressive of how they got it done. It was more like they had to sort of scrap there. Any matchups that you're seeing here heading into Thursday and Friday's games? Any surprises that you feel that we're in store for? Well, I, I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, I think, the East Regional with UCLA and North Carolina. I think that'll be a great game. Uh, the other game that I'm really uh, obviously outside of the the Purdue and the St. Pete's game, uh, you know, I think the Kansas and the Providence game is going to be really good. Uh, Ed Cooley's got his guys playing, and and I think that's one to look at. Uh, I consider Providence uh, one of the dark horse teams. I don't think people know much about them because the Big East is all Villanova, Villanova all the time. But uh, I think that's going to be a great game. You know, I, I, obviously. You have to look at the Duke Texas Tech game with Coach K. You know his could be his last game, but to me, there's there's really the North Carolina UCLA game reminds me of the '70s and the '80s. You know, back in the day when Dean Smith and John Wooden and those guys. So uh, you know that's that's 
that's an interesting matchup right there. I think it'll be fun to watch. Well, I think some locals might be wearing some Miami Hurricanes gear on uh, on Friday when Iowa State and them tangle with T.J. Otzelberger and what he's done with that program in his first year, former UNLV running Rebel coach, and now he's got the Iowa State Cyclones in the Sweet 16. Well, and you know what? To think about it, they won two games last year, I think. I mean, you know, obviously you got COVID. You have all the you know the the stuff you talk about. I'm actually an analyst, so I'm not a play-by-play guy. So I don't talk as well as those play-by-play guys do. But you know, when when you look at taking over a team that is struggling and they're in a good conference, and then to be able you know to you know turn that whole program around, I mean, there's really nobody that sticks out when you look at Iowa State. You know, as far as you know their team and what they've been able to do. Uh, you know, but I, I really think if you had to reseed these guys, and I even looked at it, I think they, Iowa State was probably the the second worst seeded team uh, when they reseed. You know how they do that. Uh, so I think that Miami's got the, you know, the leg up on that because uh, they're a pretty tough team. You know, but they really haven't been impressive. You know. Uh, in a while. I mean, obviously, he had the win over the Auburn. <laughs> looks pretty good, but I, I, I'd like to say that Iowa State, the way they're playing, coming in the underdog, you got nothing to lose. That's like it's going to be a pretty fun game. So, pre tournament to now, have you changed your mind on who's going to be uh, the national champion? Well, <laughs> yes, uh, since I had Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> doing really <laughs> okay. well. I I like what Cal had done this year. I mean, they yeah, yeah. got better and better. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching them play. Uh, you know, I also thought that uh, Bruce Pearl had a pretty good team. You know, so that's what's great about you know this time of year. You know, you, you just don't know who's gonna who's gonna rise to the top. But you know, when I look at it this year, down uh, to the Sweet Sixteen. You know, I still look think Gonzaga is the team to beat. Um, I, I had them to win it, um, but there's been a lot of teams that have, that I thought could have won it that are not in the last 16 teams. You know, who would have thought St. Pete's was going to be there? Who would have thought Iowa State was going to be there? Uh, who would have thought Michigan was going to be there? I mean, Michigan, you know, uh, as my college coach used to say, you know, they look like a fat lady's butt. They were playing terrible. And they had all that problems and all the issues, and and they've come out and really gelled. And Jawan Howard's got them playing really well. I think it helps, and I tell people all the time, you know, you can give Jawan Howard all the credit in the world, but you got to give Phil Martelli some credit because he was able to take that. That's why you have an older guy on the staff that can really, really help you, you know, when you have issues. And he was able to come in there and and really right the ship. For a couple games, I think it was three and two, uh, but they came into the tournament limping. Probably, you know, shouldn't have been in the tournament if you really look at some of the other ones. You know, Texas A and M sure as heck doesn't think they should be in the tournament. But look at now they're in the Sweet Sixteen. That's a, that's a big win for Michigan. Steve Wolf, analyst with CBS Sports. Let's close on uh, this one. Kind of go back to where we started, and that was on Sean Miller. Uh, so he's the, he's the guy at Xavier. That's where you went. Um, he yep. it sounds like you passed on Power Five jobs. Uh, Xavier is a Jesuit university. Is this all about second chances? Like, how do you feel after all that Miller went through and was accused of that he's got a job almost immediately uh, back? You know where he was. Well, you know, as, as somebody, so I 
uh, my first school I went to was North Carolina State, and that was with uh, Norm Sloan. So we were never uh, very far away from the NCAA looking into them back in the 70s. Um, but then going to Xavier and playing for Bob Stack and, and going to the first NCAA tournament my fifth, my senior year, you know, I have a lot invested um, emotionally. And so it's a tough, it's a tough play for me because I like Sean. He's a, you know, I know him personally. He's, we're not best friends, but we're friends. Um, I think he made mistakes. Uh, I am somebody that thinks that everybody gets a second, should get a second chance. Uh, but sometimes when they're coming to your school, you're like, wow, we've never had that, that taint of the NCAA even looking at us. And now we have uh, something that's going to come down whenever they, Luckily, I said this last night on the radio show, luckily the NCAA is not delivering babies because <laughs> if they were, you know, Sean, you know, like Sean Miller's situation, hell, he may be retired by the time they figure out what the hell's going on there, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, they gave him a six-year contract. Uh, the fan base is rejuvenated, believe it or not. They are fired up. Of course, of And course. so I, I think he's one of the best ex in those guys in the business. Can I throw one more thing your way on this in terms of the coaches that are getting hired? I feel like around college basketball, um, schools are going a little bit younger now with coaches and in a lot of cases are going away from the coaches that were or are screamers and yellers. Are you, are yeah. you seeing that? Because um, I actually – Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You absolutely like it? I'm seeing it. And, and you know what? Um, I, when when Xavier was looking, I, I had some ideas. I mean, I told them, I told some of the people in the press. I said, the, not to steal from the Mountain West, but I mean, they have some, Linder and Medved. They have some great coaches over yep. there. Um, Musselman. They, they got some great. Or I mean, I'm sorry. Um, uh, who took over for? Um, I'm trying to think who is it. Who's at New Mexico? They, they literally have some of the best coaches right now, young coaches that can come in there. And they're not screamers and yellows because, you know what, the young kids nowadays, you know, they're looking for that like on, the, on Twitter. They're, they're not looking for somebody to do thumbs down. So everything that these young kids do is based on Twitter and based on social media. So they have to get coaches in there that have changed from the yelling and screaming. Uh, I did a Marshall game, and Coach D'Antonio uh, was sitting there talking how he's had a change. He said, I, you know, I used to scream and yell. And he goes, I can't do it anymore. These guys aren't going to listen. And, and now with the transfer portal and the NIL, I mean, I don't know if I could coach in, 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 the, in the NCAA right now with what's going on. The rules restrictions have been loosened. But, you know, a guy's going to leave your program after you know, win 25 games and he starts the whole year because he's going to go someplace else to get some more money for his family. And, you know, you really can't blame him. But – it has changed, and the young coaches are figuring out they got to go through the portal, and and they got to start getting new players in there, and and they got to also get a war chest. They got to get an NIL war chest in there. If they don't, you know, uh, Xavier called me the other day talking about the war chest they need to get for the NIL. And my comment was, I think our our NIL war chest is a hell of a lot bigger than St. Pete's, and they're in the Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> You so go. you can do it without having all that money, but it, yep. it does make it a lot easier when you're going against guys like the, the Kentuckys and the Blue Bloods that, that have a lot of money in there, and these guys are making a ton. Steve, we appreciate it. Very good spot. Talk to you soon, okay? Thank yeah, you. Hey, love talking to you guys. And uh was out in Vegas twice. My son plays football for Wisconsin, so I'm to the Vegas Bowl. And 
My daughter played volleyball out there, so heck, I uh, I spent a lot of time out there. I hope you guys are doing great. Thanks, Steve. There he is, Steve Wolf. We're doing great. CBS. Um, I think he hit on some of the stuff with the move to go to younger, non-screaming coaches, but I don't think it's just about kids these days. I think in lots of places we're coming to the realization that the boss doesn't need to be little and badger and scream. The other thing is you're paying in men's basketball a dude $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, $7 million. If we're going to ask the kids to be responsible adults, at a minimum, can we ask the coach to not freak out all the time and embarrass himself, the team, and the university? The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.